Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It will be a fight. And there'll be a lot of death, unfortunately. It will be a fight we will win. But a lot less death. But there will be death. People should be actually kept out of the country for at least 28 days. America is not prepared. G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Butterfield Effect for another week. Thanks for joining us. Do you know that this podcast is available on Spotify? Are you already on Spotify? And I'm already double handling this information to you. Good fucking on you. Anyway, if you're not on Spotify, go and check it out immediately. Ladies and gentlemen, it is just a marvellous Marvellous opportunity for us to enjoy this guest that is coming up today. And that is none other than my old pal, Neil Kolhatka. Neil has been involved in the YouTubes and the comedy scene in Australia for a very long time. He is a very funny man. He's a humorous individual. And the first time I met Neil was actually when I booked him for a show in Newcastle many moons ago. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation with Neil. I always enjoy my conversations with Neil. He's a very smart man, a very interesting man, and I think you'll enjoy my conversation with Neil Kolhatkar. Oh, Neil okay. Kolhatkar, welcome to the show. Great to have you here, bloody etc. Great to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. What are you doing? What's happening? Oh, just today or, or in general? What is that thing in front of your face there? Is that a microphone? Yes, it's a blue snowball USB mic. Oh, my God. I haven't used this baby for a while, but uh, yeah. I'm not used to having this big ball up in my face, but you know, you got to mix things up in uh, in lockdown. What's uh, yeah, it's I a see... pandemic, right? Yeah, I see you doing um, and the map of the world behind you, planning your world domination. How's that going? Oh, good so far. You know, uh, I've probably got a few more million subscribers to go before I can uh, elicit enough influence to, um, you know, take over the world. But I think having the world behind me is a good start. Fuck nice. And uh, I see you doing a lot of boxing. What's happening there? Look, uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, the gyms closed and, uh, you know, that was my main source of exercise. But my trainer that I used to do group lessons with was offering some private lessons. And I thought, why not? And just got really into it. So you're looking I've, sharp. Uh, you've, you've got a very quick jab on you. That's something I've always struggled with because I, I do a bit of boxing myself. I'm not very good, but yep. um, the jab is one of the things that I've always struggled with. And John Wayne Parr, who is a Muay Thai fighter um, out yep. of the Gold Coast, he is uh, his double jab and even triple jab is exquisite. The way that mm. he moves in general when it comes to striking is just, it, it's like a dance. And, and the way that John, so, like, he lived in Thailand for a long time and everything he does is flowing and beautiful. And it, it's just marvelous to see him uh, to move around the gym. He tried to teach me there for a while and I was just absolutely hopeless as a as a as a pure white boy who can't dance and can barely move as it is it was a it was a tough uh, tough ask for him to try to uh, teach me the ways of the uh, martial artist oh look i think i've seen i've seen a few videos of you as well um 
you know, you've got the you've got the reach, you've got the strength. So yeah, I'm not I don't bad. know if you really need the uh, the dancing ability there. But no, when you've done more martial arts, you come to really appreciate the artistry of it. And like you said, it really is like a dance. Um, the best boxers out there, they uh, they flow so it's magnificent watching it. Yeah, it's effortless. Um, so I mean, definitely. it seems effortless. I mean, obviously, I mean, I, there's a lot of uh, a lot of training that's gone behind every single mm. fighter that that people sit and they admire but when you see people like even robert whittaker when he was uh when he was Absolutely. fighting um uh, yoel romero for the second fight there was a there was a triple jab that he threw and i i'd been working on my jab at the time and i know we've already covered jabs but i was working on my jab at the time and the way that he threw that triple jab was just it was like it was slow motion it was perfect and Romero yeah. ate all three jabs. And I was just like, holy shit, this guy is like, this is just a whole nother level of professional. But, um, it's, um, but it tastes poetry. Yeah, yeah. What, is, what does Rogan uh, always say? say? Well, it's not about... I've heard. Sorry, say it again. That's just the best uh, way of describing it, I think. Physical, physical poetry or physical chess is another mm-hmm. way I've heard. And it's been described and... I mean, I know Lomachenko actually, I think it was him, but his, his dad actually said to him, before you become uh, a boxer, go and take some dancing classes. And I know a lot of the, uh, the South American boxers, they also, they do the tango and they do, uh, that just could be a South, South American thing. I'm not sure. But well, I, I think it's... Proficient um, dancers. Yeah, it's got a lot to do with beat and, and, how, uh, and how it sort of plays through your body. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, this morning at, at, at my training, uh, Coach Paulie, uh, Warrior World Gym in Newcastle, by the way. And next time you're down there, you have to come along. It's the best gym in, in the city. Definitely. And um, he, he had, just while we were just doing some pad work and, and some partner drills, he had some drum beats playing in the background. So each round, the drum beat would like increase. And it would go like, and then it would increase the next round and you know you were throwing your combinations but you were throwing every single time the drum beat so you'd have to change how you would throw a punch and then throw a kick and then make sure that it was in time all to give you the sort of sense that there is time in 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 a combination rather than just throw like you can throw it like like you would in a real fight and i think that was really interesting And, and the reason paulie was saying to do this is when you're when the chips are down, you know how to focus yourself when you know you need to throw a certain combination when someone's coming at you and there's not time to react. You know, your body knows uh, where you need to be at that time. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, look, I'm not as uh, as much of an expert as, as these guys, but I've definitely uh, found myself enjoying it a lot more when I got my iPod on and um, at the heavy bag of my gym, just uh, trying to actually jab and, and cross to the beats. Um, it's fun. It's like a dance and it doesn't even feel like cardio. It doesn't feel like exercise. I genuinely just enjoy it. I look forward to it. I've been trying to do it every day as well. So uh, yeah, look, I've been really enjoying that. It's kept me fit throughout lockdown and it's good. It's a really good exercise, right? Because it works your muscles and your fitness and cardio. So anything like that, I'm really interested in, you know, swimming is another good one like that. Um, All the swimming pools closed. So yeah, martial arts, um, especially boxing, big fan. Have you you thought about like jujitsu as another discipline to focus on? Yeah. So right now I'm also doing Taekwondo 
um, on the brown belt. So not too far off. I haven't posted much about that though. Yeah, I'm, I didn't uh, know you were a brown belt. Yeah, no, I'm keeping that one a secret. Well, not not anymore, obviously, but I'm keeping that one till I get the um, coveted black belt. Then yeah. I'll uh, then I'll spruik it a little bit. But uh, I said to myself, once I get to black belt in Taekwondo, then I'll um, I'll try my hand in BJJ. So then that's the three main um, forms covered, right? You got your striking, you got your your punching, and then you got the grappling. I, I think for jujitsu particularly it's just such a great way to um experience what it's like to be in in the worst possible situation and you know Mm. if if you're someone who uh has been you know you're in a fight or 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 someone's attacked you and you're on your back or they've got your back and, and most people have no idea what to do like do you just spaz out and try and get out of it or are you able to and this is what jiu-jitsu has taught me uh, to center myself and not in like this weird meditation term, but really center yourself in your own mind and not freak out and know what to do, know exactly what to do, how to push someone in the right uh, position that benefits you and they don't know that it benefits you. And then mm. to be, to have the ability to finish them or to choke them out or break their arm or whatever, whatever you have to do to protect yourself. I, I think it's so important for a lot of people who are, um, who are trying to find some purpose and, and, and particularly with, with men, I mean, young women as well, but particularly Absolutely. with men to have something to like, I, I love playing rugby league, but you can't go a hundred percent all the time at training. When you're training jujitsu, you can go a hundred percent and you're not going to get too hurt, which I think is re- it's a great outlet for young, for young men. And I, I know on your podcast, you talk a lot about um, and, 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 and with, uh, with Geordie's as well. Um, he talks a lot about young men and I think it's important that people who are in a position of, of having influence over people to talk about those type of things. But I think having that outlet, and I, I don't know, maybe it's the same in, in Taekwondo as well, uh, that outlet and also that discipline that a martial art requires. And I'm certainly yep. not one of these people who is super disciplined. I'm just not. Um, I am with some things. Neither am like, I. <laughs> I. I am with my diet and with, with my work, very disciplined. But when it comes to making sure I'm at jiu-jitsu every week, it just doesn't happen because work gets mm. in the way and all those things. It's something I'd like to focus on more, but I haven't. Um, but it's Well, I was just going to say, it's so remarkably rewarding um, mm. improving w- with a martial art or any sort of physical discipline in that regard because you know, I always lifted weights and I went to the gym and it was great to see progress there, but there's nothing more fulfilling than... You know, you start off unable to even do a roundhouse kick and then a few months go by and you're like, oh, wow, hang on a minute. I've actually got a bit of power now. I can get a bit more height. And then a year goes by and, and you've got a great roundhouse kick. And it's just, it sounds so simple, but it's very rewarding and it has so many beneficial aspects. As you said, especially for young men, it teaches them discipline. It keeps them fit, keeps them strong. And, you know, if worse comes to worse, you've got some, uh, some skills uh, if you really need to defend yourself. And that's a big thing for me. I want to give myself the best chance to survive if I'm ever in that situation. Touch wood. Hopefully I'm, I'm not. But um, that's a big part of it for me. And just the, the like I said before, the artistry of it. And um, it's so mental as well, right? You know, yeah. I've been I've been sparring a little bit. Um, I'm not that good. It, it, it really humbles you when you when you start sparring with guys who are uh, have been doing it a lot longer than you have. And 
so much of it is just staying cool under pressure mm. and staying calm and, and sticking to your combinations and to your strategy, even when you've been hit a few times. So I, I love it. I can't, uh, I can't say enough uh, positive words about it. And I think it sounds like you're the same. Yeah. And I think the great thing about jujitsu when it comes to, um, and with striking and maybe not so much with boxing because mm. with boxing, like obviously there's a supreme amount of skill that goes into the best in the world, but you can mm-hmm. walk into a gym and if you can throw a real heavy punch, you could knock someone out. It's very, yes, but like definitely ego uh, is with jujitsu, jujitsu mainly left at the door. And I think that's really yeah. important because someone mm-hmm. like me, who's a six foot eight man with a beard who weighs 115 kilos, 114 this morning, doing not bad. Um, but anyway, nice. and um, they can destroy me. You know, if they're 60 kilos ring on wet and they know what they're doing, they can destroy me. And there's very few sports where that can happen. And I think that's one of the most beneficial things that just makes you leave your ego at the door and at the door. And there's not many things in life that really make that happen for a young dude. Hmm. Yeah. And then those sort of uh, humbling experiences uh, are the catalyst for the most growth. I know they have been with, uh, with my life, you know, when I've challenged myself and things that I've previously avoided or dismissed when I was young, you know, I was never really, um, that much of a physical guy when I was younger, you know, I didn't, I played a bit of sport. Uh, I, I was a swimmer and, um, I was actually, I was a swimming teacher for a while. Um, but I was never big into, uh, into contact sports or, uh, you know, I never really just, uh, saw that as, uh, my realm, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, as I've gotten older, I've, um, you know, I've, uh, I've gotten more in touch with that, uh, with that side of me and it's great. I feel so much more confident. Um, I feel, I feel strong. Uh, and I just can't, I know I've been saying this a lot already, but I just cannot recommend it enough for, um, especially for young guys out there that might not be, uh, the most confident that might, uh, be dealing with some insecurity and, uh, things might not be going your way in life. Uh, try try your hand at a martial art. I don't know it's something uh, Joe Rogan professes and talks about so much. Oh, but and it's so true though. He's like, right. He's he's a hundred percent right. I was just going to pull this up really quick, um, mm-hmm. using my supreme skills here. I'm just going to go to Twitter. And oh, this here we go. I know, oh, mate. Somebody stop me. Um, if you can't see what I'm, if you, if you listen to this, it's uh, a guy called Jason K and he tweeted oh, yeah. me last night and he said, thank you. Thank you. Last year, I watched one of your videos and it changed my life. I stopped blaming other people, uh, and looked at what I was doing wrong. And now I feel the best I've ever felt this, they compare Christmas this year to now last year to now. And this is, this is, this is the gentleman here. This is Jason. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's a bigger dude. Uh, he's working on his car there, uh, or someone's car. And, and obviously he's quite overweight. And then you go to this year and have a go at him. Like he's dropped. Wow. I mean, if you, if you compare the pair, he must have dropped, you know, 45 kilos and he's looking marvelous, you know, and, right. um, and which is wonderful. And uh, which makes me feel really good because, you know, he said that oh, I've seen, seen the video and, you know, motivation is wonderful, but it's something that has to be taken consistently like a vitamin. Uh, and there's no doubt that, yeah. um, hey, great, he saw my video and, and changed something about what he does, but it was up to him. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think you learn over time as you get older as well, that whatever you want to do in your life, it, it comes down to you. 
You know, you can't, no one else can do it for you. It must be done by yourself. And that's what I worry about. And I talk about a lot, I talk about this a lot in my videos is this victimhood culture of people where it is everyone else's fault but your own. And there are things in life that go wrong that are terrible and horrible and you can't change it and no one else can really change it. But even with those, sometimes you have to just accept them. And obviously that's very difficult for a lot of different things. You have to accept them and then work out how we can make them better. Because if you continuously just lay down in life, life will eat you. Mm. 100%. I worry about that with young, with young dudes and young women, particularly the ones that are involved with, with my YouTube channel and my comedy. And I try mm. and put this message out there where I can, that you can change yourself just like that young man, just like I did when I first dropped uh, 35 or 37 kilos, whatever it was. It is doable, but it takes a lot of hard effort and a lot of change. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. They're just not. It's very seductive to fall for an ideology or a um, set of beliefs and a narrative that absolves you of personal responsibility. Now, I think personal responsibility can be taken to an extreme degree. And I think no, not everyone is born equal by any means. And some people are going to have it a lot harder than other people. Mm-hmm. But the chances are there's someone out there that's had it a lot harder than you and they've managed to better themselves. So... Uh, I try to live by that ma- mantra as much as I possibly can. Um, take personal responsibility for, uh, you know, my my flaws and things that aren't necessarily going uh, well for me in life. But at the same time, uh, I really try to help other people. And sometimes being generous and being charitable is what someone needs to uh, get back up on their feet. So then, then they can take personal responsibility. So there's a, there's a bit of nuance there, but I'm definitely with you um, that that is the philosophy that will bring you the most peace and it will bring you most fulfillment in yeah. life. And I, to, to what I said before, to my point, a lot of people are unable to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Like mm. that's just, for a lot of people, that's not possible. And I get that. If you were born in a shit community, you've got shit role models, you've got a shit roll of the dice, it's very easy for you to, to just run the course alive. But I think something as simple as sitting there and saying, this isn't for me, is, this, is the first step to changing everything and changing the tune of your life. And yeah. I, I see it so much in social media now that... Everything else, everything in wrong in my life, my mental health, my physical health, everything is someone else's fault. And when you take that tone, I don't think there's any room for you to improve even 1% because well, 1% improvement is so worth it wherever it happens to be in your life, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your relationship with food, whether it's your relationship with exercise or whether it's your fucking punting ability. If you can increase it by 1%, that's a positive thing. So, without a doubt. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it, it, it sort of doesn't keep me awake, but it, it's something that I'm always constantly thinking about is how, how I can use my platform to not inspire people. I don't want to inspire people, just give them the option of going, or the, the, the possibility of going, hey, maybe we can, maybe we can change our lives just a tiny bit. 
I'm with you there as well. You know, I don't claim to be some kind of a life coach or I don't claim to know all the answers, but I can only attest to what's worked for me uh, from when I was a teenager to now, which uh, it's not too long. It's about 10 years, but I've learned a few things. And now I've been uh, trying to uh, talk about that a bit more on my, on my second channel and with the podcast I'm doing with Jordan and the new podcast I'm doing with uh, Eliza. And I, uh, I've been getting a few messages like that as well. And it's, it's really rewarding, man. It's, um, it feels great when you've made a difference with people. So what's, it, what's your second channel? Neil TV, yeah? Yeah, youtube.com slash Neil TV. And what are you yeah. doing with that? Why the so, change from the first channel to the, to the second one as well? Oh, so I'm still, uh, I don't even see it as my second channel now, right? I see it as well, my serious channel. It's just a different arm of, uh, of my brand or just who I am as a, as a person and as an entertainer. Um, so the main channel, it's all my comedy, right? I'll never stop making comedy. It's my life. I really do think it's my calling. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never, ever stop doing that. I'm still posting a lot of character comedy, a lot of sketches. Uh, the funny thing with uh, COVID and the lockdown is that I suddenly have a lot more time to, uh, to make sketches, as I'm sure you would be in the same, uh, the same boat as well, because uh, stand-up comedy and live shows, even though uh, they'd take up one hour a night, performing live uh, mentally they can be quite draining especially if you're at a festival for 30 nights and you know you want to prepare throughout the day and if you have a a normal routine um, you're not necessarily in the best mind state to perform live now uh, as I've gotten older I've gotten a lot better at that and I have employed certain techniques to get into the appropriate mindset for stand-up but what coronavirus has has done for me at least is uh given me the space and the freedom to just explore this other avenue for me. And uh, I started the podcast with Jordan last year and it's evolved, but it's, you know, it's, it's a weird mesh of, of banter and philosophy and policy and, and politics and culture. And there's nothing really like that out there. I don't think there's that kind of synthesis between, um, you know, two young dudes just bantering as they do. Uh, but then traversing into really serious kind of topics. So I think we've given something that um, people haven't necessarily uh, heard or seen before. And, and the other one I've started is called uh, Sex Cells. And I wanted to do one with a, with a woman because I find there are a lot of podcasts out there that are either, you know, all guys or two guys and or vice versa. There's a lot of all female podcasts and, Right now, we seem to live in this uh, perpetual state of uh, gender conflict where uh, there's this race to the bottom about who has it worse, you know? Oh, women have it worse in this regard. No, men have it worse here. So I thought, let's try to get to the bottom of this. Let's actually try to discuss some of these uh, concerns and issues without just uh, preaching to the choir and um, giving into echo chambers. So um, I found Eliza, who's a... Uh, she's a relationship therapist and a and a sexologist i didn't even know that was a thing sexologist. um yeah <laughs> sounds fun uh but uh no it's just the study of sex basically uh but she's very very educated and she's perfect to you know unpack and discuss those issues and it's been going well um have, have you have you brought up the topic of conversation with her um as far as the sexologist is concerned about certain individuals having a, a penchant 
for eating ass? <laughs> oh, not yet. We haven't done a fetish episode yet, but I'm sure that will come a, to the fore. Would because you call, uh, would you you call know, that a someone... fetish? Because <laughs> I, oh, I don't know it's, a, it's a preference. I don't know if it's a if it's a particular fetish, but uh, there's a friend of mine. I won't name names, but he's a big fan of it. He's always tagging me mm. in memes on Facebook about eating ass. Um, Sounds like a good guy. Uh, I'd imagine, you know, it takes some bravery to do that, to get down there. So, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he's a, a good guy to do a podcast with. He's a great guy. Um, he's, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about Neil. Um, yeah. <laughs> but hey, if you're not eating... Look, it's a bit of a phase, on. man. Like, I don't, when I talked to you about it two years ago, I don't even know what it was, but... Why did we start <laughs> talking about that? We're at a Christmas party. You brought it up, man. <laughs> yeah, oh, we, no. I don't know how you, you brought it up here, but um, I certainly didn't. Bring I can't remember. I think uh, our friend Elliot was uh, telling us a story, and then I made an, uh, a remark, and then one thing led to another, and I just uh, I don't know, just, my uh, something about it. I uh, I was really obsessed with it then. It's um, it's petered out a little bit. I still, you know, I'm <laughs> in it. I <laughs> but uh. <laughs> Um, get back now i know like i'm very uh i'm very you know the, the, that term is used a lot these days but i'm very fluid with my uh with my uh preferences when it comes to uh and you're allowed to be there's nothing um, wrong with that if, if if you're not eating your girl's ass someone else is that's exactly it and anyone who hasn't done it yet oh. uh it's like what i was saying with martial arts right it's uh it takes discipline, discipline and uh it takes also courage. Are you also a brown belt in eating ass? <laughs> um, it, oh, brown in, in many ways, right? So uh, <laughs> we call it a brown tongue. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, it's, uh, it, it gives you the same benefits that um, boxing and taekwondo does. So yeah, if, you've, if, you've, if you've eaten ass, right, you can do anything. So. Yeah. I think if you, uh, if you feel like... Words to live by. <laughs> if, I think it's in actually in 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson's book. <laughs> That's the Always thirteenth rule. Cat and eat the ass. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Not the cat's ass. Don't do that. No, that's, no, no. Um, no that's that's, a, that's bordering bestiality. But uh, bordering. <laughs> that's not bordering. <laughs> is it? Of course. How, it's how do you actually define the bestiality? Does the penetration have to take place? Well, or I think it, if you engage with an animal in a sexual act, like if you accidentally mm. touch an animal's asshole. You know, it's not a good thing. I wouldn't go out there to do it. Accidentally. Like Littlefoot, my dog, right? Sometimes yeah. in the morning, he sleeps in our bed. And if he mm -hmm. gets up in the morning, he'll do a big stretch. And so often, yeah. the first thing I see in the morning is Littlefoot's bum hole pointed at me in like an intimidating fashion. But that's not bestiality. That's just being in the room. But that's true. If you go out of your way, like, feel you your like, tongue out. If you had your tongue out, like I've heard stories, right? I had this story about this dude that used to break into farms and he would break into the farm and he would go out of his way to have sex with the cattle there, but he wouldn't. Okay. He admitted to this in court, but he denied furiously that he had sex with the male cattle because he didn't okay. want people to think he was gay. Right. Okay. So it was, uh, it was, more concerned about being seen as gay than being seen as an animal fucker. Which, what, what does that say about our society? 
Oh, it says a lot about him personally. I don't know about our society, but uh, what does it say? Yeah, about I don't. I think he's got what? his priorities a bit messed up there. Yeah, I mean, sure. Isn't it funny how we went from talking about the philosophy of uh, your own victimhood mentality to talking about pulled pork? I think it's great. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't think it's funny at all. I think it's, a, it's just the natural flow of the conversation. Well, I'd be very interested to know what uh, you, the sexologist has to say about eating ass because it is a very uh, interesting <laughs> and it's a new, it's a very analingus new- is the. Uh, the appropriate term, I believe. Analingus. I think that's a Cardi B album. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't put a, yeah. <laughs> so tell me, uh, as far as your YouTube channel, your main YouTube channel, I know you put longer. Yep. Uh, well, so when I make a video, it takes me about a week. Um, mm-hmm. long, well, I make two videos a week and that's what I use the week before to write. Um, but you put a lot of effort in. It must take a lot longer to, to create something. With uh, the short films I make, they they take months. So writing it is a it's quite a lengthy process. More so because I want to refine it as much as possible and really get my point across. I'm really careful about exactly what I'm saying with those short films. And then I do um, I produce the whole thing. So I uh, I get on board, you know, a producer and DOP and um, cameraman and the you know, the, all the assistants, assistant directors, the actors. And I, I try to pay them as much as I, I can, you know, you don't make a huge amount just from short films on, on, on YouTube, unless they go viral. So one or two of mine have um, been quite lucrative, but it's a full production. So sometimes it's taken over a year to get the final product out there because editing can, can be, um, can be quite arduous because we're sitting there, you know, the director, myself, and the editor, trying to perfect every single shot, uh, the the musical score, the sound, the mixing, all of it comes together. But it's so reward. There's nothing more rewarding than when a um, a short film or I could imagine a feature film comes together because what it does is it um, combines so many artistic components you know you've got the uh the dialogue which is you've got the story the plot you've got the acting you've got all the imagery based on the shots and the the scenes and the way that the camera is positioned the the film work in that regard and the costume the props everything comes together for one final product so i i i I love filmmaking. Um, I, I, you know, as much as I love stand-up comedy, I also really, really love filmmaking. Um, it's a lot harder to do it in this climate because it's not you, you don't make a lot of money doing it. Uh, but it is a passion that I uh, like to do on the side while I'm still making the videos and doing stand-up. How do you find that works? Because obviously, YouTube is very much focused toward the ten-minute video. That's you know, like my style, where it's like you know, there's jump cuts and all that shit that some people like, some people hate. And it's like, you know, it's always been there to sort of design to bring people in, whether or not that still works. I don't know. Do you think that yeah. that uh, short films have a place or, well, maybe that's not the right question. Do you think that YouTube is the place where short films belong? Well, I think YouTube is just the video platform. Everyone is on Nowadays, at least, although I I actually like what Facebook's doing with their video platform. I could imagine in another year or two, they're going to be just as good, maybe even better than than YouTube. I know 
Um, oh, I've completely forgotten the name of it, but there's a um, there's a video platform out there that is a bit more catered towards filmmaking and and, and short films. Oh, I've, got, I've just mind blanked on the Vimeo. That's right, Vimeo. Um, there's just not a lot of people on there. No. In fact, it's very industry based. So. In the same way, I don't like just trying to appease comedians. I don't like just trying to appease other filmmakers um, and other people in the industry because they have a a warped uh, idea of what is uh, well, what you know the general populace would enjoy. So, um, I will, am always inclined to put my uh, content on whatever will amass the the largest potential audience. So, YouTube is the place for me to to put the films out there now yeah the algorithm and and the way youtube following and and the way youtube is designed nowadays definitely um it's an advantage to be uh as regular with your uploads and to have longer uploads now as as well so i found that out i'd say the hard way two or three years ago when i said okay i'm no longer going to do comedy sketches i just want to be a filmmaker and a stand-up comedian and I would post a stand-up clip maybe once every few weeks and a short film maybe twice a year. And all the engagement, all the subscribers, they just dropped off. They, um, not entirely, but a lot of them did. And I think you got you to play the game, man. Like, I think I could have just sort of complained about it like a lot of people in the film industry do. Uh, but I just thought to myself, no, this is, the, this is the passion. This is the side project, but I need to make this a viable business. So... Uh, I went back into regular uploads, regular comedy uploads, and that's the bread and butter for me. The, uh, the podcasts, the, uh, the comedy uploads, and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love doing those as well. I really, really enjoy them and they're, they're just, they're fun, but they're also in- engaging and interesting for me. Uh, but the real passion, uh, is, is stand up and, um, and filmmaking. And that's where I put most of my artistic energy and most of my intellectual energy, towards um so uh i've learned and i've sort of figured out a way to still maintain a very uh, prominent and regular social media presence while still being able to do short films and and stand-up comedy when i can do you regret not keeping that upload because that's one of the fears that i have is is dropping off and Mm -hmm. and i the longest i've taken off is like two weeks in three years i think from two videos a week. Uh, wow. And that's scary. You're like, yeah. you know, it, it's a fear because when I have a video and, and it doesn't do well, but that, that shit scares me because this is, this is my, this is my income. This is my life. This is what's going to put my kids through school. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, I'm doing the most I can to sort of, um, you know, not put all my eggs in one basket, but there is there is always that fear there that that something will go wrong or or even the fear for me that fucking YouTube will go not anymore Butterfield piss off oh, that's always yeah. deplatforming and stuff like I don't think I'm that controversial but I guess it depends who you ask like I really like Friendly Geordie but a lot of my audience doesn't like him and a lot of his audience fucking hates me like I am the mm. I am the devil for those people well not all of them but some of them I've read the comments. Fuck you. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's always that fear there. And do you, do you, did you find that that was a regret of yours or do you think that it led you in a positive direction? Yeah, hindsight is a good thing and I wouldn't do that if I had my time again. But 
it made me realize the importance of the regular uploads and um well i think you've got to find that fine balance between um for me at least with because with what i do right with the characters and the and the sketches i try even earlier this year i tried to commit to two videos a week but the quality just went down so much that the overall views even with two videos went down so I've always found the the perfect uh, balance for me is one comedy video a week. Mm-hmm. And then with some of the other stuff I'm doing on the Neil TV channel now, um, I'm a lot more regular with those uploads. Um, man, I, we all have those fears now because like, I mean, I don't think I'm controversial at all. Uh, of course, I'm biased towards myself there. But, you know, seeing some of the uh, people who are getting, you know, quote unquote cancelled and, uh, being um, socially shamed, social media shamed. I'm worried about that too. I'm really worried about that. And ultimately YouTube is a, is a private company and they uh, do have the liberty to just uh, to ban people without even notifying them. So you know, I'm often, trying to... Often it comes from a weird place too, like that whole the, the uh, Christchurch joke for me where people demanded my deplatforming. Like I didn't even think about that that wasn't something that was in the back of my mind. Like, Oh my God, I hope that doesn't, I was going to say blow up. That's probably a bad choice of words. I hope that doesn't, um, <laughs> that doesn't like, uh, you know, turn into a, a big situation. Like who knows? Like, you know, some, I think for people who are in the public eye, like it just, it happens out of the blue sometimes. And there's something that comes out and you're like, Oh mm. shit. Like I forgot about that, but fuck me. That's okay. Now we deal with this now, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one, right? Because we, I don't ever want to censor myself or censor what I say, but I'm trying to um, take as many steps possible to being as independent as I possibly can. Um, I just haven't, you know, the biggest step would be just posting videos to a website on some other video platform. But that I'm not, I'm not there yet. But you know, I don't even use Patreon now anymore. Um, so it's uh it's a risk that you take being on you know any social media platform and i do think i i don't think social media platforms should be heavily regulated i think they are ultimately private companies i don't agree with what their you know their policy their very vague policy on hate speech and their demonetization and all of that but i also do agree that they as a private company have the right to do that um and I think we, as you know, as uh, people who with with profiles on on that social media site, we accept the um, the terms that come with that. Um, yeah. Well, that's but, the funny one, isn't it? Like you you don't want regulation because who wants their their government d- dictating what is the uh, exactly what is yeah. the terms? But also, when there's private companies who are as large and as powerful as governments. Yes. Where is the line? And that's the thing that I don't think anyone has yeah. the appropriate answer to. Yeah. Mm. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because this is a uh, very new territory that we're treading in, you know, nothing like this has ever happened yeah. uh, historically. And, you know, there's uh, regulation going the other way now with that, um, that code that you did a great video on that is coming. I don't did it. Did that get passed in the Australian parliament? Because uh, it's a terrible law. And it's definitely oh, the um, overregulation, in my estimation. And um, it's it it it's it's the these are uh, old and poorly modelled 
large media conglomerates that are basically trying to obtain an unfair advantage on social media because one, they simply can't compete and they have the connections in the government to do that. Yeah. So it's new media trying to crush old media because they haven't adapted and it's just lazy. It's lazy, uh, lazy business by old fucking dinosaurs. That's it. Yep. Couldn't put it better myself. They just need to to get with the times, you know, they, uh, they need it's to lit- eat some ass. It's <laughs> no, lit- they, need- they need to start eating ass on podcasts. No, it's literally. You <laughs> should probably have your get- ass eaten. Fuck, that would get some views. Why don't that you have would, a- yeah. start another podcast where the entire time you're getting your ass eaten? I would watch that for sure. It's it's for, for these people. It's an OnlyFans like- idea, isn't it? <laughs> Why don't you have an OnlyFans? You're yeah, young. Look, I- you're fit. You're I looking- could. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to see, it would just be, it would just be me, you know, eating us. So I don't know if anyone wants to pay for that. I like to keep that private, you know, I'm happy to post my, my comedy and my characters, but, uh, what happens in the bedroom? Um, I like to keep in the bedroom. I don't want it, you know, broadcast to the world. Thank you very much. I can talk about it, but I don't want people to see it. Not that I've got anything to be embarrassed about. But, There's um, a lot of people doing the OnlyFans. Like um, this video will go up next week, but uh, my Monday video uh, is about uh, vegan gains. He started another. Okay. Yeah, right. Well, what is Because I've heard now that it's not always... I always thought OnlyFans was only, you know, it's R-rated really, content. Yeah. Well, Bella Thorne put up like... She made like $2 million in a couple of days. She's a Disney or used to be a Disney star and now... She made two mil in, in two, two or three days and she basically gypped everyone out of their cash because she's just posting the same photo she's put on Instagram. So everyone's filthy at her. But Vegan oh. Gains, uh, him and his wife are full-blown assholes and, and vaginas and dicks and it's uh, it's a good watch. cost me $18.50. A fantastic claim to the uh, the taxation department uh, coming up in the 2020, 20, 2020 and 2021 financial year. Looking forward to that, explaining that one to... Uh, Shout out to I hope you get audited. I really hope you get audited. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Just, I should, yeah, to have an He's interview. Treasurer. <laughs> yeah, look, Frydenberg, this was a business expense. I needed to see Vegan Gains dick uh, for my uh, business. <laughs> it's not a great dick, I'll be honest. But yeah, with the media bargaining code, um, that terrifies me because that is, that is big business. Uh, you know, sleeping with the government and even with people... Um, people who have these strange, like, okay, so the ABC put out a video about it um, saying how great it is. And then Sky yeah. News put a video out about it saying how great it is. And then Media Watch, who was on the ABC, who has always been very, very fair, put out a video mm. saying how, how wonderful it is. And I was just like, oh, my God, even Media Watch, mm. they're coming out. And it's like, you can't trust any of these pieces of shit on TV at all. Yeah, they know they're dying. They're trying to cling on to whatever power they have. And look, even if this does get passed and it comes into effect, it's um, a small win for them, but they're losing the battle. They are, you know, 10, 15 years, I, I don't even think they'll exist. Or if they do, they'll exist in a form that is that has, you know, basically none of the power that they currently do. And... It's really interesting, isn't it, with all these different forms of media when you talk to people who still 
consume most of their content from mainstream media, they live in a different world. Mm. They have different ideas about what the appropriate actions uh, for the government are, that what the appropriate actions for something like this are. They're all in favor of this bargaining code because, well, it's, it works as propaganda ultimately. And you can't even reason with someone like that. Who's just consumed all this uh, mainstream media and, they are in a different world. And that's a very interesting way to put it because like there was, there was a news flash on the other night and I'm in Newcastle, NBN news, Paul Lobb came on and I trust Paul. And yeah. uh, he said um, words to the effect of about the protester at one of the rallies, uh, one of the riots in, in America, mm-hmm. he, he had a Molotov cocktail go off near him. And the and the and the news the headline was oh, what happens when uh, p- peaceful protesting goes wrong? I was like, well, that's not really. Pe- I don't think you can bring a Molotov cocktail to a peaceful protest and still call it a peaceful protest. Like setting fire to things, that's more rioting, is it not, Paul mm. Lobb? I mean, that is the thing. And Paul Lobb, great journalist, and I love him. And please don't sue me. Um, in fact, you know what? I'm wrong about him. He didn't even say that. The the thing is that you are hearing completely different stories from completely yeah. different people about the same thing. And even when it comes to the old media, which is the newspapers and the, and the nightly news, if you're watching channel seven, you'll get a different story than channel 10 and a different story to channel nine and a different story to the ABC and sky news will come in with something completely different. And then mm-hmm. you hear the, another story from people online and you're like, well, hang on, where's the truth in this? That's crazy. Yeah, the uh, the trust in um, media has completely eroded because, like you Rightfully said, so. you just get conflicting narratives and you have no idea what the real truth is. Um, and then who's to say that when media was trusted, it even was, it, it even should have been trusted. That's the sort of realisation yeah. you come to when, when you start to, um, you know, understand how biased it can be these days. Um, I mean, look at the, yeah, big, I don't know what the solution the is. Man. Look at the big report yeah. over time, like JFK getting assassinated. That was just reported. I mean, I'm not going, I don't want to go full conspiratorial here, but that was reported yeah. by the news. The mainstream story accepted 9-11 accepted. Even Harold Holt going missing fishing accepted. Like, I mean, I just, yeah. whilst you were talking then I was thinking, Oh, well maybe when Harold Holt did go missing, was that a little bit sus? Probably. It seems a bit sus. If Scott Morrison was at... Don't even think about these things. No. When Scott, if Scott Morrison tomorrow was playing golf and he went missing, do you think there'll be people questioning, oh, maybe something a little bit sus happened? Or what about Dan Andrews? If he suffocated from his mask, people would start start questioning things. Like today, they would question. But back in the day, no questions whatsoever. They just accept Mm -hmm. the narrative. And I know when you say when you say words like the narrative, people start going, "Oh, I'm not listening to this dickhead." But that is know, literally yeah. what it is. Yeah, and I um, I now just uh, I suppose I plead ignorance. I don't know <laughs> unless I'm actually at an event, or unless I I I I have a first hand account of the facts of something that's occurred. I'm just gonna say I don't know. I mm-hmm. I have no idea. Um, I can't trust the agendas and the bias of uh, anyone reporting on on these things. So um, I can assume there's maybe a grain of truth in what every everyone says. So if you if you consume maybe opposing uh, narratives, you might 
get to some semblance of the the middle ground and the truth. But even then, it's just it's uh, it's too hard to really have a concrete idea of what the what the truth is, which is that's insane when you think about it. Yeah. It's it's uh it's a bizarre world that uh, it's a bizarre media world and media landscape that we live in now. And it's quite interesting actually because when you know I've been doing this now nearly ten years and um, I remember when I started and I I was always of the belief like oh, the internet is the future everyone's going to be moving onto the internet and people just laughed at that they thought oh you're kidding yourself you know it'll be cat videos forever or uh, it'll just be you know, silly, silly teenagers uh, doing accents forever. But uh, no, I, I think I would say internet sources are more trusted now than than many mainstream sources for, for definitely for people our age yeah. and around our generation. So who knows what it's going to look like in ten years? It's um, it's scary, but I think there's also it's it's somewhat exciting as well. You know, we're a part of this new landscape, and we can help shape um, what the future media landscape is going to look like and 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 we can learn from what we've what we're currently experience experiencing and what we have experienced and shape it uh to something that we're much more comfortable with and that you know the general population can be proud of or at least trust yeah and i think when you give the power to the people which is what the internet is sort of there for it builds trust. And I don't think that when we're old men, when we're 70 years old, anyone's going to buy a newspaper. Like, there's just no way. Oh, I reckon by the time we're 40. Yeah. I don't even think, yeah, I don't even think it'll be that long because they're just, they're, they're not making any money. The revenues are completely, I mean, it, 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 with, with the way that digital media works these days, it's just not cost effective to be printing these papers and, and thousands of copies every day and then delivering them and all those costs involved are exorbitant compared to creating a digital copy and emailing it to people. So even writing a, a full story is a waste of time now. And some, and in many ways that can be quite unfortunate because what you Definitely. did get with the, with the paper was, uh, well, at least you, you sort of trusted that there was some integrity there and it wasn't all just, tabloidy clickbait nonsense trying to grab people's attention and not make people think but you know i know my um my grandparents still you know they they still get the paper um and i hope for the sake of the older generation it still is a service that is provided for at least the next couple of years but yeah i don't even think i i maybe 10 years Mm. we'll see do another podcast in 10 years and see if newspapers still exist in the physical form I, I think that even the way that the news operates has to change and hopefully this bargaining code disappears um, mm. because I had, the, I mean, I had this argument with one of the guys that my old man, my old man used to write for the paper in Newcastle just last yep. year. And I had this argument with him. I said, why would you pay $5 or whatever it is a week? Or I don't even know what it is for this particular paper. And he said, what? Are you saying that your your father's journalism isn't worth that a week? I'm saying no. But you're not going to get the same readership. Like I mean, I don't know how you operate, but when I look when I find an article that I'm interested in and I click on it and it says, "Hey, you need to pay $7 a year." Like $7 a year is like I know that's, you know, I'm I'm obviously being um 
being deliberately obtuse to say that, but seven dollars mm. a year, I'm not going to pay that. Yeah. Even though it's nothing, I'm not going to pay it. Whereas you could easily make that money through ads, um, you know, in your article or on the side, you could easily make that money and quadruple or, 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 or increase your readership tenfold by not yeah. having that, that paywall there. But I don't think they understand that. And he was like, oh, well, you don't think that your, your old man's journalism is worth that? And I said, no, that's not the point. I think it's it, not as simple as that, is it? No, it's not. Mm. We are in a generation where everything is free and available. And if you try and bring in the old school mentality, you will fail. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think previously, before the advent of the the internet and and especially the the um, newer technology of social media, the capital required to mass produce media and to build a media company was immense. So there weren't many firms competing with each other. There was some, you know, there was numerous ones out there, but compared to the infinite amount, infinite amount of YouTube channels, blogs, only fans, Instagram account, everything out there that you can possibly consume media from uh, you don't need a huge, you don't need millions of dollars and a, a massive printing press. So you, you don't have to, you don't have to appeal to uh, a, a gargantuan swath of the population, right? You can be niche. And that is why, especially at the start of the internet, all the, 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 those newer sort of millennial blogs and the more edgy uh, YouTube channels were gaining so much traction because they were appealing to a niche or a subculture that mainstream media had previously never appealed to. And mainstream media still can't wrap their head around that. And they still live in this weird bubble. Uh, They're starting to, comprehend the um, magnitude of uh, not only the internet, but internet creators like ourselves, but they're, they're, they've always been a couple of years behind, you know, they still, I don't think they fully understand how, um, how massive this really is. I mean, I just go back to maybe a year or two ago and, you know, a lady that I was uh, in, involved in some projects I was doing with the mainstream media. Look, I criticize the mainstream media a lot. I'm still, I haven't completely closed that door for myself. You know, the older I get, the more I think it's not worth pursuing that. But if certain opportunities came about, you know, I'm an I'm an actor, I'm a filmmaker, um, I would I would take them. But now I'm just I'm, I'm more skeptical and hesitant than ever. But going back to this uh, this lady who's you know definitely in that world, I was doing a show at the Enmore Theatre, and she went into the small room because she just assumed, oh, internet guy, he's going to be in the small room with forty people, and then she was shocked to see that I was actually in the 1500 seat main yeah. theater yeah. she couldn't she couldn't wrap her head around that and yeah. it just goes to show that you know even even still this was two years ago so maybe now hopefully <laughs> they've changed but it, it it just goes to show that the massive disconnect that still exists and oh, i've been talking about this for years and i'm almost quite sick of talking about it but it's just so relevant and it's still yeah you're sick changed. of talking about it i'm sick of talking about it too but it's still there Exactly. You, like people you don't almost take, have to. It's ridiculous. Like people who watch this video now or watch our channels trust mm. us more with news. <laughs> yeah. Than they do these 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 journalists who who run around like they are king shit. No one trusts mm. these cunts, and they shouldn't because they are all playing to a certain. And like you know, with with journalists, you have to okay, <clears throat> go. You have to go and study a communications degree. And I haven't done that. 
uh, okay, I, whatever. Like there are people out there that are far more educated than I. Take Friendly Geordies, for example. Extremely educated young man, knows what he's talking about with a lot of shit. But like there are more people who are trustworthy on the internet than there are in the mainstream media. You could be on OnlyFans jerking yourself off on camera and you are more trustworthy than the, than the, than the nightly news. You know, you're not plugging Crazy, fucking a current affair that's coming up in 30 minutes after you've just told us a story about six people who have died in a car crash. Like you are more yeah. fucking trustworthy. Um, yeah. OnlyFans does a deal with a current affair, you know, mid, <laughs> mid route, you're just like, by the way, go check out Tracy Grimshaw. She's coming up soon. Mate, I watch, I watch a current affair every night. It is amazing. It is a hilarious show. Like it's one of the best examples. I don't know how you can deal with it. I just can't even watch anything on the, I watch sport, but other than that, I cannot, I just can't do it. Change your tune when what it comes like, with what you're watching a current affair for, if you go in mm-hmm. thinking you're going to be educated on something, wrong. You need to mm-hmm. go in there thinking that it's a comedy. And you'll have a great time. Yeah. It's marvellous. And, um, and you know what, Neil? Mm-hmm. On that topic, I need to go and cook my dinner and get ready because a current affair is on in two hours. Coming up, isn't it? Okay. Tracy, well, we- you have a two-hour routine before current affair. That's how... That's how big a fan you are. Uh, the dogs, the dogs are freaking out downstairs. I'm, I've got to go and feed them, but um, they have been fed today. They just want their dinner. Um, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Um, I like to keep doing that. And uh, yeah. please, where can people find you? I'll put all the links that you uh, that you uh, that you tell us about in the in the description below. But uh, what is, what's sure. your OnlyFans? Go on. <laughs> Soon to be, you know, OnlyFans uh, slash arse eating brown guy <laughs> i don't know but neil before um, me mate, take one of yeah. your <laughs> there you go yeah. there you go neil before me from the other way um my youtube channels are youtube.com slash neil k for the comedy channel and youtube.com slash neil tv for the uh for the serious channel and then it's just my name so neil Kalhatka on instagram tiktok facebook whatever yeah ladies and gentlemen neil Kalhatka, one of the best one of the best getting around. He's a very, very funny comedian. If you can get out Thank and you. see him in 2025 or whenever we can do stand-up again, that would be fantastic. Thank you very much uh, for joining us here. Make sure you subscribe and check out us, uh, the the podcast, rather, on Spotify. iTunes, well, fuck iTunes. Spotify. If Rogan's there. That's where we need to be. So go and check us out on, on Spotify. Be a good motherfucker. Peace me, least. Be dick stinks. And I'll see you all very soon. Keep it moist. Toodaloo. Au revoir. See you, Neil. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.